Foundation Law and Gospel on this August the 10th, Tuesday in the year of our Lord, 2021. And the hymn we're going to be taking a look at is, O God, My Faithful God. Now, you may not have heard of the author, Johann Hermans, and he wrote this sometime between 1623 and 1630. And during this time, he was coping with a throat infection that also affected his nose and air passages and eventually prevented him from preaching any sermons. This was also in the middle of the terrible Thirty Years' War, 1618 to 1648, which was particularly bad in Cilicia, where Herman lived and served as pastor. The sufferings were at their worst from 1623 to 1638, the period in which the hymn was written. It was first published in his Devotia Musica under the heading, A Daily Prayer. The text is not simply a work of poetic art, but a genuine cry of faith from the author's Christian heart. Various English translations of the hymn have been produced over the years, but the best known is that of our dear friend, Catherine Winkworth, who died in 1878, which has been used in various altered forms, including our Lutheran service book. So, how familiar are you with this hymn, uh, Pastor Smith? I'm, I'm fairly familiar with it. Uh, I've sung it over the years. I can't say it's one of my favorite hymns, but I will say this. I don't know of a hymn that better deals with uh, the Christian's careful use of his words and his language, particularly those third and fourth verses. I don't, I don't know the hymn that, that, uh, that concentrates more on, you know, guarding the use of our tongue and using it to build up others, to edify rather than to, uh, and, and to be very careful lest we tear anyone down. Yeah, that's a good point. In our hymnal, it's under the category of sanctification, which is the result of our realizing that we have been justified. Sanctification are the good works that are produced in a justified person. And this prayer is very important. So, would you read the first stanza? Sure. O God, my faithful God, true fountain ever flowing, without whom nothing is, all perfect gifts bestowing. Give me a healthy frame, and may I have within a conscience free from blame, a soul unstained by sin. Now, that needs some explanation here. Is Johann saying that he prays that he never sins? Well, you know, that's a good question. Uh, a soul unstained by sin. I, I, I'm thinking what he is thinking is uh, we're, stained, we're unstained only because we're in Christ. When God looks at us through Jesus Christ's righteousness, he sees us as a saint. He doesn't, you know, he's, not, he's not 
looking upon our sins, but he's looking upon Christ's righteousness covering us. It kind of reminds me of Peter on the roof. Eat unclean food. No, Lord, I haven't done that. Do not declare unclean, which I have declared as clean. Right. And then he meets with the Gentiles, and they come to faith in the same way that the folks did at Pentecost. Right. This this also is uh, very good about using it for, say, someone in the hospital or who is ill because of the line, give me a healthy frame. What is he talking about there? Well, he's talking about our bodies. He's, he's, he's yes. uh, praying that, you know, something else on that last point you made. Uh, I think the passage... I can't give you the reference, but there's a, a, a passage in the scripture that says, Now you are clean through the word I have spoken to you. That's Jesus talking to his disciples. Yeah. And, and, and it's also talking to us after, yeah. our, after the absolution, after holy absolution, after our sins have been forgiven. Now you are clean through the word I've spoken to you. So in the liturgy, what is the word that declares us to be clean? Uh, the uh, the uh, confession and absolution. Yes. And the pastor says, upon this your confession, by authority, I forgive your sins. And that's what declares us to be clean. That's right. That's right. All right. I'll do two. Grant me the strength to do with ready heart and willing whatever you command my calling here fulfilling that i do what i should while trusting you to bless the outcome for my good for you must give success now remember this is at a time when he had to stop preaching that's right because he wasn't able to yeah and i really like that last line for you must give success. That's Reminds right. us of Romans eight twenty eight. Yeah. Yeah, I remember I made that very point in the sermon last Sunday, that if there's any success, it must be granted by God. It's not something that we can, we can do ourselves, but uh, God's the one that enables us to. Yes. It's got it's to come from him. And all things work out to our good. Right. All things, even uh, even suffering and death. Yeah, there's no doubt that uh, the hymn writer was thinking about his ability to preach, uh, his uh, you know his, the, the infection in his in his breathing and, and nasal uh, his capacity to, to to breathe and to preach and all that. He knew that it all depended upon God giving him a healthy frame, and he. Uh, and I think I think that has something to do with his uh, the third and fourth verses. Why he he was made to realize that you know I've I've been given this ability to preach and to lift people up with with God's word, and uh, it it all hinges on on God's giving me that ability. That success comes only from Him. Well, in light of the fact that he is saying he is unable to preach. Yeah. How do you understand that line, whatever you command, my calling here fulfilling? 
Right. If he's not able to preach, how is his calling fulfilling? Well, there's uh, there's other things that involve the holy ministry, uh, uh, visiting the sick, visiting the elderly, yeah. uh, by word as well as by deed. See, you know, if he's not able, you know, he's not able to preach. Somebody else can preach, but he can uh, he can still serve in in other capacities. Well, this hymn is an example. Yeah, right. There you are. That the hymn he itself. Ser- he preached a sermon in this ser- in this hymn. Yes. We've often said that, that you can go to the hymns and get a really good summary of the Christian faith and what it means to the believer. And this is a good example. It's that an excellent his example. Yes. calling is still being fulfilled. Okay. Stands the three, please. Here we go. Keep me from saying words that later need recalling. Guard me lest idle speech may from my lips be falling. But when within my place I must and ought to speak, then to my words give grace lest I offend the weak. Well, that's that's really a well thought out line, isn't it? Yeah, how do you offend the weak? Oh, because, you know, I mean, the thing is, when you preach, you preach the law and the gospel, right. and uh, you offend the weak, perhaps when, they, perhaps when they need the gospel, somebody needs the gospel, and yet they hear the law, and the law is all they hear. Or, you know, they, they, they're so taken aback with the, the preaching of the law that they don't hear the rest of the story. And, uh, you know, you, and so you pray, boy... Uh, Help me to weigh my words so as not to offend. Uh, how's that passage? Um, uh, a, a, a wick, a smoldering wick, he will not snuff out. Um, will not extinguish. A, yeah, a slender thread he will not break. Uh, we don't, we don't want to do that. We don't want to be the one to break that slender thread or, or snuff out that smoldering flick. When, when somebody needs to hear the gospel, God give us the, the gospel words to speak to them, loud and clear. Uh, you Remember to- that time when Paul was talking about whether or not you can be a vegetarian? And he was making the point, right. it really doesn't matter. Right. And to tell someone they cannot would be offending the weak because you're putting them into a situation of sin that is not really sin. That's right. And you may chase them away from the faith if they know they can't have any more hamburgers. <laughs> you know, if they get the idea that, oh, we can't even mean meat, that's, that's just that's too much. I can't take it. You know, you, right. you offend them. You may, you may chase them away, scare them away. You don't want to do that. Yeah, it's very important that when you say something's a sin, it's a sin. That's uh, right. For example... I was at a pastoral meeting, uh, a circuit meeting with other pastors in the area, and one of the pastors said that it was a sin to buy a lottery ticket. So guess Uh what I did? (laughs) Bought it right in front of them. (laughs) Well, no, I had to go to the store, a gas station. I bought it. I went to his church, and I showed it to him, and I said, now what are you going to do? And, of course, he did nothing. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And that showed me he may think it was a sin, 
But if it was truly a sin, you need to bring charges against the pastor for yeah. sinning. Because I had no repentance doing that. And I was giving God one opportunity to give me a million dollars, and he failed, so that's too bad. <laughs> yeah. Well, I can remember I can remember very, very distinctly a uh, professor at the seminary talking about the whole issue, is smoking a sin? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He had a, he had a, real, he had a real problem with that statement. He, he felt that that was adding to God's law. Yes. And yet, you know, you want, to, you want to be good stewards of your body. You want to take care of your body. You don't want to abuse it. Uh, but smoking per se, I don't think you can say that poke, smoking per se, by itself, without, without excess, I don't think you can say, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think you can say that's a sin. Well, it is a sin if you would do anything to excess that would harm your body. I remember what Paul says recently in the, one of our readings that do not drink wine until you are drunk. In, <laughs> in other words, it's okay to drink it, but not to excess. Right. And I, right. I put smoking in the same category. Yeah. Now, fortunately, I, I don't like smoking. I think I smoked one cigarette and I can't believe anybody likes it. But, yeah, I don't uh, like it either. Uh, it's not for me. No. And my mother was uh, secretary to the president of the university in her town. And they would have meetings and they would be smoking cigars and pipes and would make her sick. Yeah, oh yeah. And she asked them not to smoke, but for some reason they didn't. So what I told her to do is to get uh, a cigarette that once you light it, it smells like manure. <laughs> and put that on the desk in front of them and say, well, you said we could smoke and see how long that would last. Oh, boy, I don't know where you buy those. <laughs> well, we'd kind of have to make it, and with all the farms around, it wasn't going to be a problem. Oh, I see. Make it make it yourself with manure, huh? Hmm. Yes. All righty. Uh, would you read the next verse, please? Okay, I think we're on uh, the fourth verse, right? Yes. Lord, let me, and this is kind of, uh, in addition to the third, it kind of feeds from the third verse. Lord, let me win my foes with kindly words and actions, and let me find good friends for counsel and correction. Help me as you have taught to love both great and small, and by your Spirit's might to, give in to live in peace with all. Yeah, that's a really hard verse to understand. No, I, I I think it's pretty easy to understand. It's it's a hard it's it's a it's a verse I think that hits us all in the heart. Because how many times the Lord let me win my foes with kindly words and actions. I, I keep telling my people, you know what? Try to be as winsome as you possibly can. I mean, sometimes, sometimes you you need to let the chips fall where they may. But uh, there's, you know, you don't you don't win an argument by hitting somebody over the head with a book of Concord. You know what I mean? You try to be winsome with kindly words and actions. Now I'll explain why it's a tough verse. Okay. Jesus doesn't follow it. 
Oh, I think he does. Oh, no, no. You talked well, to the I mean, Pharisees. He hey, he didn't pull any punches. When he talked about the Pharisees calling them white and sepulchers and overturning the tables of, of the money changers in the temple, that was, that was righteous and anger. I'm not saying there isn't a time for that. But I'll tell you, if anybody could could display righteous anger, he could. But how many of us, can you say that we all, we have uh, authority to do righteous anger? I mean, uh, I mean, we really need to watch our words. We're not Jesus. Well, I'm not so sure about that. If you read <laughs> the Book of Concord, there's a lot of bad things said about the Roman Catholic Church. Oh, yes. Oh, Those yes. aren't kindly words. No. No, that's right. But you've got to consider, you know, you've got to consider the source of, uh, of, uh, of the wrong, too. And, and sometimes you, you need to call a spade a spade. Yeah, I don't think children, when they're disciplined, imagine that you are loving towards them. No. But it is. So, now, that's correct that your motivation is one of love. In fact, the example I use, Jesus saying to Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. Satan. Yes. That was actually a word of love to wake up Peter to the direction he was going. That's right. So it takes wisdom to decide when unkind words are spoken. And I, I tell you, there is a necessity for that. We have uh, pastors removed from office because of living uh, a wrong lifestyle and this sort of thing. And that is necessary to do. But you're saying that would also be a loving action. Right. Well, you know, this very program is called Law and Gospel. And one of the most important gifts of the Holy Spirit is the right, is, is, the, is the ability, the God-given ability to distinguish law from gospel and to rightly apply it, to apply the gospel to those well hurting hearts and, uh, and yet to speak the law where somebody is impenitent. Well said. All right, I'll do five. Let me depart this life confiding in my Savior, by grace receive my soul, that it may live forever, and let my body have a quiet resting place within a Christian grave, and let it sleep in peace. Now, that's interesting, because on some tombstones, it's written, asleep in Jesus. Asleep in Jesus. That's what's that's what's uh, often, of course, on the obituary of, of Lutherans. Asleep in Jesus. Yes. And you know and, what? And... This, uh, you know, this this makes this hymn would be a, a very appropriate funeral hymn. Oh yes. Those final those final two hymns talk about uh, uh, stanzas. Those final two stanzas uh, talk about um, it, oh. It reminds me of another hymn that I can't think of the title of right now, but um, we 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 think of it a lot. Uh, but it, it it has that one verse where it talks about you know talks about our our being laid to rest and and praying that God would uh, would let our remains lie peacefully in the earth until the great and glorious day of the resurrection. What I like about about verse five is that is by grace 
that my soul is received, right. not by my works. That's right. And, and that is because there's another word that he uses instead of trust or believe. And what is that word? Confiding yes. in my Savior. Yes. What does that mean? Well, it means being confident, clinging to the Savior's promises, and being confident in his promises. Well said. Yeah, that confident in promises. And then he lies in a resting place. But let's talk about now the final day, if you'll read stanza six. Okay. And on that final day, when all the dead are waking, stretch out your mighty hand, my deathly slumber breaking. Then let me hear your voice, redeem this earthly frame, and bid me to rejoice with those who love your name. And that's talking about the resurrection of the body. Exactly, right. And notice he says, when all the dead are waking. That's right, all of them. Even those who are not going to heaven. That's right, unbelievers as well as believers, yeah. And, and everyone who's ever lived, no matter whether your, your, your body was burned and reduced to ashes or whether you were lost at sea, eaten by sharks, whatever the case, all those bodies of all the people who've ever lived are going to be raised. It's pretty amazing when you think about it. Yes, I like saying that they're going to be recreated. Uh-huh. Especially those that have been eaten or whatever happens in the ground. Yeah. Then let me hear your voice. Who's he talking about? The voice of the Savior. Yes. Now, have you noticed that the word Jesus isn't found throughout the hymn? Well, I'll tell you what, it's, it's certainly understood. My God, my faithful, oh God, my faithful God. It's certainly talking about Jesus. It's, you know, it's kind of like, it never says the Trinity in the Bible either. And yet it's loud and clear, the, 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 uh, con, the uh, understanding of the Trinity it comes loud and clear throughout the Bible. Old Testament as well as New. Even though it's never specifically spoken, Trinity. Well, Jesus. I think Jesus is specifically spoken in verse 5. Let uh, me depart this life confiding in... My Savior. Yeah, that's not God the Father. No. That's not God the Holy Spirit. That is specifically the second person of the Trinity. That's right. And that would be Jesus. Right. So this is a great hymn. You know, you're often wondering... What kind of devotion can I give to a shut-in? Well, going through this hymn would be a good example. Yeah, you know what? Uh, I wanted to say this in, in, in stanza five. Uh, yes. A lot of times when I visit, I visit shut-ins. Like just not too long ago, I visited someone, and I said, "Well, we're," and I talked about the the, the hope of the resurrection and and that uh, Christ will raise us up on the last day. And uh, somebody, I can't remember who it was, said, I, yeah, I sure, I sure hope, I hope so. 
But I said to that, yeah, but you know, our hope is a sure and certain hope. There is no doubt about it. We will be raised and we'll see our loved ones again that died in the Lord. We absolutely, we can be absolutely certain of that. No, when we talk about a, when we talk about our Christian hope, it's a sure and certain hope. It's not just a, well, I sure hope it happens. I, yes. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. It's a sure and certain hope of the resurrection. And why can we be sure of it? Because of our Our baptism. promise in Jesus. Well, the baptism. And our baptism. Absolutely. That's part of it. Right. All right. Thank you, Pastor Smith. Uh, tomorrow, we're going to be taking a look at a individual who we believe is a false teacher. We got an email from one of our listeners asking about this because some people in the congregation are following him. That'll be on tomorrow's Law and Gospel. God bless you. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.